0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Try Faster podcast presented by the Fort Worth Tri Club, where we dive into triathlon-specific training and coaching. And I'm very excited because we have a super fun topic, probably my most most excited topic uh, to jump into today, which is training for the 70.3 discipline. Kind of been my personal specialty over the last four or five years of triathlon training. Uh, and to help cover the topic, I'm joined by my friend and coach, Keith Kotar. How are you doing, Keith? Pretty good, Michael. A lot better than last time yeah uh well perhaps but also you're in you're in texas so i want to kind of get to that um you've been hit by some some pretty intense weather over the last couple of weeks and you've had to probably do some indoor training like myself um so i want to hear all about that and kind of get your updates you've also had um, i guess leading into or how many more weeks until your next marathon attempt uh, it'll be two weeks from sunday so i'm okay. recording on wednesday the 8th so two and a half weeks yeah. so you're you're like finishing up some, some, probably some key workouts and getting ready for the taper. So I want to hear about Not that really. as well. I guess we'll talk. No about key it. workouts. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, we'll jump into it and and we'll have a quick conversation on updates, both on your end and my end. Um, we'll also kind of cover some key news at the very end. And there's some drama surrounding Iron Man uh, and the how they train podcast. We want to cover that we found pretty entertaining. Um, and yeah, let's just dive into it. I guess Keith, since we've already kind of covered it a bit. Tell us a little bit about the last couple weeks since we connected, um, last we spoke, you were kind of coming out of, out of your last marathon effort, four weeks to your next one or five weeks to your next one. How's the training going on your end? So this last weekend would have been three weeks. So the exact middle,
1: it was six weeks in between. And so I figured I would probably take like a week and a half or so to kind of get over it and then get a couple good weeks. Um, and then kind of taper down the last week. So right when I was starting to feel like training, Again, everything froze here in Texas, and uh, last Monday I was, I was at the pool for practice in the morning, and then school got canceled for the kids, and then uh, there were accidents all over the place because it started to rain and sleet a little bit. So uh, the week that was probably going to be the hardest training week, last week and this week, I ended up missing basically all of the good stuff because it was frozen. So I took the trail shoes out and ran on the ice as much as I could. Mm -hmm. Um, there was one day that I tried to run, I think it was Friday morning, Friday morning was the only day that I wasn't able to run. Um, because the, I took my trail shoes out and I just ran on the grass and there's like a, maybe like a two kilometer loop around my neighborhood. That's all off road. And the ice was so thick that I couldn't even run in it with my trail shoes. It was probably close to an inch thick. So I was just kind of ice skating out there. So I went back. Um, so I didn't miss any. Running days, really. I just uh, missed all the workouts because I couldn't really do anything outside, and um, so that was kind of tough. Got in a couple good trainer rides, I guess. Uh, didn't swim for a few days. Spent some time on the Vasa, and uh, yeah. Now, now we're kind of back to normal this week. Um, and I was gonna go do a long ride today, and it's uh, thirty-eight and raining, so that looks like that's gonna be tomorrow. <laughs>
0: So, like, a couple couple thoughts kind of come to my mind. One, I didn't see you sign up on Zwift. Are you participating in the Tour de Zwift? No, I don't know what the Tour de Zwift this is. This would have been a perfect opportunity for you to jump on, on Zwift and kind of experience that. It's like, so uh, I won't spend a lot of time on it, but the Tour de Zwift is, like, a fake grand tour that anyone kind of participates in with these stages that kind of runs, like, two weeks long. And you, just big race, Fondo-type online events so they're kind of they're kind of neat they're kind of fun but my other thought goes to when it's almost 40 degrees out and i brought i brought this point up before that's like the perfect weather bundle up and go out on a gravel bike yeah except
1: that we just got like four inches of rain in the last five hours so that'd be fun i don't i don't
0: know i think the trails are gonna be a mess that would be fun that's the point of getting out there on the gravel bike yeah like the one thing that i've certainly noticed like doing way less road riding and then spending more time on the gravel bike. And this is kind of obvious is when your speeds are slower, right? You can get out there in colder weather and still participate and enjoy it. So like, yeah, that was, that was kind of my plan with
1: the gravel bike. I've been able to get some good rides in that way. Um, but I plan on taking my time trial bike out cause I got a new saddle on Monday and I haven't had a chance to ride it yet. And so I was going to go spend some time sitting on it, but, um, i think it'll be tomorrow it's gonna to be a little yeah. nicer All
0: so. right. another weird question but do you find it better to test out a saddle outside or inside outside really yeah
1: because i feel like on the trainer you can't get everything exactly right like you're still like a fraction of a degree up or down you know be from from level because of the the rear wheel being off the ground and then the front wheel trying to match up to the rear wheel and so I feel like I can find a more comfortable position outside, whereas sometimes inside, like my outside saddle position doesn't match my comfortable inside saddle position.
0: Like which is more uncomfortable? I just have to adjust it. Okay. So, so they're different.
1: So like to be comfortable inside, I'm kind of sliding off the nose outside. But then if I'm in the right spot outside, I feel like I'm getting jammed when I'm inside.
0: okay i won't comment further on that but yeah, i will sure. say <laughs> hopefully with the new saddle it's going to be better so we'll i will see. say like if you can for me personally if i can be comfortable inside that'll be comfortable outside comfortable outside's easier to get to than it is inside so you know if i can figure it out in indoors i go outside like i think i move around a little bit more on the saddle outside inside's like more stationary so if i can find that spot um, and I know what you're saying, like getting the, the front wheel level on the trainer is a little bit challenging, but um, I haven't run into that as a major obstacle. So uh, for me, it's all about being comfortable inside. You're good to go outdoors. Yeah. I've also only ridden the same saddle for the last 11 years.
1: The exact same one. So that's probably why I have so yeah. many issues. I'm, oh, I'm hoping that my new you saddle never fixed. Got, you didn't get a new version of it? No, it's the exact same one. Oh, that's... So I'm hoping... I got house. I got a specialized power comp and uh, I think I got the narrowest one and so I'm hoping that it's going to help yeah. and I'll be able to sit in the right spot. Um, and I, I think I've talked about it on here before. I have a lot of issues in training and races with my saddle going nose down. And I think it's because I have to sit so far forward on the nose of my current saddle to be comfortable that I'm torquing the front end. And so... Um, I'm hoping that with the specialized saddle, I can put it all the way forward, but then I can sit back
0: so that I'm comfortable on it. Mm. Um, I, so I, so I use that same saddle and I kind of still slide around a little bit on the trainer though. You're more static because there's like no bumps. You're not adjusting for like hills or, you know, going hill or anything like that. So it's more static. And I think I'm a little bit more centered on it outdoors though. Yep. I'm forward and back and that's a really good saddle though really really popular and the comp one is great because it's the it's the it's not i guess it is it's like plastic the shell is plastic so it has a little bit more give in it too um so that will hopefully give you some comfort
1: yeah i thought about getting the fancy one i was looking at it but it was like a 220 twenty dollar difference and it was 2.6 ounces of weight i could just probably lose that and then uh i was a little worried about carbon rails too you know
0: I got the carbon shell and then the, right, the carbon metal shell. rails. Yeah, um, they do have the S Works one, carbon carbon. Yeah, there's yeah. there's too many versions of it. I think saddles is kind of crazy, but I did go carbon, but I need to get another one because on my gravel bike, I don't like that saddle, and I want to put a Specialized Power Comp saddle on it because again on gravel, I, what you're trying to, the most important thing you can really get probably with any saddle but especially on gravel is comfort. So a little bit extra deflection on the saddle is going to be really helpful. Yeah. So really cool. Let me know what you think of that saddle. I've been riding that since I've been probably been on that for five or six years and I really enjoy it.
1: No, I, I liked my saddle for a long time. I just, I think it's kind of beaten up and yeah, I just, I need to figure out the, the nose down issue. No matter how tight I get it, it just, I'll if I hit a big bump, I'll just go straight down. And then I'll spend yeah, the rest the most, of the ride negative 10 degrees.
0: Well, that's like what's going on with the, with your clamp, right? Is that not tight enough for using a torque wrench? Because it shouldn't, shouldn't drop down like that. But the comp, this power comp is a, what they call a stub nose saddle. So you're not going to get as much leverage. At the right. end, And I think that's, you end up sitting at the front.
1: Yeah. Mine's got a really long nose and I kind of sit forward on it. And I think I'm just putting so much weight on the front that it dive bombs. Cause when I took it to the shop, the guy was like, well, we could put some um like some cement in there and, and make it so it won't ever move. And then I was like, well, though, no, cause then what if,
0: <laughs> <laughs> what if I need to move it? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. That so how's your training though? Okay. Um, My end isn't too exciting. No marathons um, coming up for me anytime soon. Uh, so right now I think like this is a really cool conversation we're about to have jumping into the 70.3 discussion, how to build your season and work on different things. I feel like my training minus swim is really similar to some of the points we're going to cover. Overall, I feel like my run is good. I want to get my volume up. I want to get that volume up a little bit higher on the run, though, because I again, throughout this whole season, 2023, my focus, I want to have like the best runs I've ever had on the triathlon side. And then clearly, my goal is still sub three hours for Chicago in the fall. So I want a higher run volume. Hopefully, we're I know we're working up to that you can't jump into that too quickly. On the bike side, though, I feel really strong. And uh, you know, the trainer trainer road they have their new ftp detection and i use that and it pretty much has me at what i was two years ago even though i haven't had a lot of bike volume which is which is good and then most importantly like the workout i had yesterday which was just uh some threshold efforts eight by three minutes at at near threshold just under threshold honestly it felt good it felt like legs weren't being pushed too hard lungs were were fine with the effort. I could certainly carry that for quite a long time. So I feel like bike is good. I just got my tri bike back from the shop, a whole new front end. Um, so these efforts feel good. And right now I'm doing about half of them, half or the first half of each effort in the arrow position for anything, you know, 90% or less, um, of, of threshold and and that again still feels good it's certainly easier out of the arrow position but i can i can work into spending more time arrow uh, as we move throughout the year so that's the short update on my end feeling strong awesome that's good
1: um and maybe that's something we should touch on too in the bike is is when to when to be in the arrow bars and when to not we'll talk about that here in a few minutes yeah well, oh, that's I, do, good. I do have one more update one more personal update my bike might be coming soon. My, my Your, new bike. Yeah. The super six, right? Yeah. So I hope it's, uh, I hope it, it's, it comes. There is a chance that I went to the bike shop the other day and he said that, um, the, the ship date's been getting pushed and pushed and pushed. And that Saturday was the ship day, the day that I coincidentally went in and we had, he said we caught the ship day for the first time. So hopefully that means it's coming. Um, and, uh, awesome. We'll be on a,
0: I'll be on a road bike pretty soon. That's great. So. Good job Cannondale for making that happen. I know probably frustrating on your end to have the moving date, but still a pretty good outcome. Yeah. So, should we dive into the seventy point three yeah. topic? Since I don't know how you want to break this apart—swim, bike, run—or early, mid—you know, getting more race specific. But a lot of people training for 70.3s here in North America, at least, are probably thinking about their base training, um, building in building in the base, getting in the miles, um, and and myself, at least me personally, I'm only thinking about biking and running. But a lot of other better triathletes than than I are probably also thinking about swimming. So how should we how are we going to break this topic down, Coach, and um, walk us through this a little bit? So I think we'll
1: we'll start with kind of the the overall and what applies to all of the sports, and then we'll go into each individual sport and talk about what uh, what considerations you should have for swim bike run. Um, but I think in total we're we're kind of starting the same way that we did the last the last uh, training specific episode, where we kind of want to progress toward our race pace, right? So we want to get more specific with time. And so I think on that last episode we had mentioned funnel periodization as an option. So if you Google that, you can probably find a nice graph of what funnel periodization generally looks like. Um, This might not necessarily be the path for everybody, but um, I think it's a good place to start from and kind of see how your body responds. And so uh, what that means is that um, on our graph is if we have on the x-axis, which is your time, and then on your y-axis, you'll have the uh, intensity or the speed. And so, you'll kind of have two lines on your graph and one that's really, really intense and then starts high and goes toward the middle. And then another line that starts toward the bottom, which is not very intense and then meets the other line kind of toward the middle. So in that early portion of the season, we kind of want to focus on our speed and our aerobic capacity. And so I feel like that's something that we can do at the same time pretty well, because when we're working on the the top end speed and that's intervals, really like 10 seconds or less, you can probably, go up to 15, 20 seconds, maybe 30 seconds, but then it becomes a lot less um, you know, anaerobic and much more aerobic once you get over over into that that time frame. So eight seconds is really kind of the, the longest it can really be, maximal, right? Um, and so I think we can do both of those things at the same time because we're not going to have a lot of aerobic fatigue from our speed sessions. Um, in the beginning, you'll probably have some muscular fatigue and probably some fatigue like on your central nervous system but then the next day after a speed session you could go get in a fairly good aerobic session you know and, and not really have any consequences and so i think that's um i think that's an important thing is that we can kind of keep that top end at the same time that we're we're working on our endurance in the early okay. portion Th-
0: this is like such a big change from before you started being my coach and prescribing the workouts speed was something I never did. I was definitely your standard, go out there, go easy. Actually, probably not even that, go medium a whole bunch of times, go hard sometimes. Um, And now this is kind of like, I guess also emphasizing that more polar approach, like go really, really easy, get that aerobic base, but also hit it hard so that you can kind of create one, a little bit more adaption uh, and, and enhance your top end capabilities when you're if you're just starting this or you're listening to this and you're kind of your own coach you're not doing you're prescribing your own workouts um this is like like maybe help provide some guidance how much speed in a very aerobic workout is added uh, because that's important i think and just my perspective of it the first handful of times you do this you're going to be very sore and you're going to be like no way is an eight or ten second effort going to make me sore no it is going to make you way sore than you thought so like how what does this yeah. look like normally so i think we have an
1: episode that's completely speed so if you want some some real detail go back to that one but i think you know in the early stages it's this is just like really fast 25s um and even i think for a lot of swimmers not even 25s just push off the wall in 10 strokes you know right off and then go easy the rest of the way um and i think the thing about when we're working on our top end speed, like on the bike, ten to twenty seconds. Because I think the bike is a little bit harder because there's a little bit more of a ramp up period. Whereas on the run, you're kind of going right away. Um, but I think on the bike, it takes you four or five seconds to actually get to a fast rhythm, um, unless you're starting, you know, in a place where you can kind of have a higher cadence and then go. Um, but this would be, you know, on the run like eight eight second hill sprints or something like that. Um, or strides, just normal eight times fifty meter strides, something like that. Um, but then over time, you know, we don't need speed to go fast in a half Ironman. And I don't, you know, I'm not saying that you need to be really, really fast. But um, it's something that the form will help you later on if you kind of incorporate this all the time. Um, and then just having that capacity, the extra capacity, right, to to have another gear in. So you're, you're operating right at a lower percent of that top end speed, uh, when you're out there on race day. Um, but that's why also why we're doing this early in the year is so that we can kind of set that technique base and then you can just kind of touch this, you know, maybe you do some, something top end, you know, every couple of weeks in each sport. So you could do like a really fast swim workout one week and then, uh, get a little speed on the bike and then a little, the next week, and then on the run the next week, um, and when you're into the race season, right? So that way you, you're still kind of touching that top end. Um, but then maybe you don't build an entire workout around it either. You know, maybe you're doing a, a track session or a, some sort of tempo run. You just do a couple strides at the beginning, do four by 50 meter strides at the beginning just for the turnover, get your body feeling that speed, and then go do your tempo run. You'll probably have better technique throughout your tempo run, and then you'll also kind of touch on that, that speed side. So we don't really need speed workouts once you kind of get to the race season we can just kind of remind our body about it you know here and there
0: yeah i think and, those are always good like the strides before a big workout or like a key workout that's more threshold vo2 whatever it might be also me personally I, i'm interested in your take each like maybe there's four of them the first one absolutely sucks and it hurts the second one, a little bit less, all the way to the way, that last one where you're right. Like, okay, now I'm, my legs are turning over and I'm feeling good. It's just, it turns into more of the warm up than anything else.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I think it helps with, you do need to do more than one because your body's going to probably freak out a little bit in the first yeah. one, and then you'll, you'll kind of get going after that. Um, and I think that just like the last point on this too is, you know, I think that mm-hmm. people have looked at like traditional Training methods, and they think that people always just did lots of slow aerobic work all the time. Um, But I think it's kind of been masked the speed has. So if you look back at like some old Arthur Lydiard work, you know they run some crazy miles during the uh, during the preseason, but they incorporate things like hill sprints and bounding and plyometrics and things like that that are also speed-type sessions, right? So speed doesn't necessarily mean sprinting. It could be maximal effort squats. Um, It could be jumps. You know, Things like that, too, also count as speed uh, because of the the energy system that you're using or maybe the muscular system you're using. Um, And I think most triathletes that are interested in coaching themselves, if you've read the Triathletes Training Bible by Joe Friel, you know he kind of references speed skills in the early season. I think he just does a really poor job of explaining it, and I think he kind of corrects that later because you know he came out with an edition, like the fourth or fifth edition, and said, "Oh wait, half of the stuff I said in the first couple editions was actually not true," and so um, he comes back. Read read the most recent one if you're going to read one, because uh, he kind of caught up to the science a little bit, um, but he does reference speed skills. It's just not a clear. There's not a clear definition of what he means by speed in that book.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you think the average triathlete that's coaching themselves is actually trying to read literature about coaching themselves. (laughs) I think that that's hilarious, actually, because coming from that, that that's a pretty popular book. It 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 very well may be. I haven't read it. I coached myself in triathlon for ten plus years, uh, and probably performed better than I think most triathletes age groupers middle of the pack age groupers are doing it themselves they're doing it with the Saturday coffee ride they're doing it with the easy Sunday long run and then they're mixing in swimming biking running throughout the week just hey that's the world I was in maybe my perspective isn't right and you're accurate and I was being a fool but my perspective is most triathletes are just opening up triathlete magazine taking that taking that training plan putting (laughs) it on the wall finding something else online and um and then modifying it to fit their lifestyle and that's okay because like we need people to just participate in the sport and i think that that's what makes triathlon so fun like you can become active and you can do it that way but what's the next step and i think there's a lot of steps right like some If you, hey, I want to be self-coached, but I want to take the next step, then it's becoming and reading literature and trying to be more sophisticated in your own training approach. That is not the average, I don't believe. Uh, I think there's a group of the average that then decide, like when they decide to take the next step, they decide, okay, do I want to hire a coach that's going to do all the reading and literature and understanding the, you know, the science behind actually becoming a faster athlete, or do I want to do it myself? and try and figure it out and both th- those are two that's much more than average both of those yes i've spent
1: days reading my home library is much different than most people so
0: yeah uh, there's a
1: there's a handful of books about hockey up there and then there's probably 40 or 50 sports science related books so it's a lot different than than the average shelf
0: <laughs> my shelf has zero and i coached myself for like I said, ten plus years, and I think honestly, that's how most triathletes are.
1: It it probably is. Uh, so,
0: well, I hope I, okay, I hope so you're then. learning something from this too. Is like, hey, this this is when when people are reaching out to you, and they're saying, hey, yeah. you know, Keith, I want to talk to you about coaching. That's where they're coming from. They're not coming from like I understand anything we're kind of covering today. They're coming from that triathlete yeah. magazine thing ripped out and posted on a wall. That's it. Yeah, I always try to steer,
1: and we're, we're getting a little off topic, but I always try to steer uh, <laughs> whenever I meet a new client, I, I try to kind of lean the conversation to where I can learn a little bit about their, their knowledge base and their background. Um, not just their physiological background, because that's obviously a staple of that conversation, but trying to figure out you know where they're coming from uh, helps too, because that kind of tells me what kind of attention they need. Um, yeah you know, or if they're, you know, you, you do find some people that want to know exactly why they're doing everything. And then some people just want to like tune it out and, you know, they just want to do the workout. And so I think that's always, there's always a contrast there.
0: I'm somewhere in between. Well, probably more on like, on, I like understanding the why, but I, you know, you, we've been working together for a couple of years. I also love the fact of like, not having to think about it as much or before, even if you're a self coach, you're, constantly trying to figure out the next day and that's com- that's complicated yeah all right let's get yeah, back to, let's mean. get back to
1: the point okay so <laughs> now uh we've kind of gotten through the early season and we're moving we're moving along in our funnel so now kind of in the middle of the season what's going to happen is all of that higher end work we're going to start to slow it down and so we're kind of coming into what people would traditionally call like vo2 max work which um you know if i coach you you've probably seen that i'll put like vo2 type workout into training peaks, um, that may or may not be actually true of what the, um, energy system is that we're using in the workout, but I think that's what people's definition is. And we'll maybe, maybe in a later episode, we can spend an hour dissecting exactly what all these different, uh, energy systems are, but, um, and then it'll kind of back down to where you're like just over your lactate threshold. Right. And then on the other side, that really easy aerobic work, we're starting to lift a little bit. And so, um, uh, this is kind of where you start to figure out, you know, like what kind of athlete you are. Um, because if you're going to be at the pointy end of the race, right. Um, obviously for a 70.3, we're not going to be, um, above our threshold the entire time, because it's even if you're, you know, a, one of the top age groupers, you're still going to be in the four hour range. Um, and so if you're, Um, maybe better than average, let's say you're five to five and a half hours, you're going to be working, you know, at a reasonably high percent of your threshold. Whereas once we start to get back to like six, seven hours, you know, the effort is going to be a lot lower percent. And so we're kind of in a steadier range. Um, So what's happening is our, that aerobic side, we're going to slowly lift that throughout the season until we kind of find that race pace. Um, And then once we get toward the race season, we'll spend more and more time kind of in that zone, Say like eighty to eighty-five percent of threshold for most people, depending on on your your background in each sport, um, and so then eventually our funnel is going to meet when we get close to race season, and uh, we'll be spending lots of time just below, just above race pace. Um, I don't like to spend a lot of time at race specific intensity because I think that you can kind of find it, and depending on the athlete, you know, it might be better to go a little bit over. race pace, because then we're really going to be pushing like that sub threshold effort. Um, And then some athletes, if we go above their 70.3 race pace, then we risk going over that lactate threshold. And that could cause, you know, different types of problems. And so we want to uh, kind of find that happy medium with the athlete with your ability level, you know, find your race pace, um, and then figure out kind of how much wiggle room you have on either side. Um, And like we talked about before, uh, with like threshold testing and things like that, your your functional threshold power on the bike is not necessarily your lactate threshold those are two different things and so you do just kind of need to be careful you could be doing threshold watts on the bike but not at your lactate threshold um, and so that's just another consideration to kind of take into account you might be able to go a little bit harder on the bike let's say if your lactate threshold is higher relative to your cycling capacity um, so that's kind of how I am my at least my energy system-wise, um, I'm generally fitter than my legs are in cycling, and so I can push really hard on the bike, and my heart rate is very, very low. Um, and so, uh, you just kind of need to figure out what what type of athlete you are and dial in that race pace. Um, but the last six to eight weeks, you really want to know exactly where you're going to be um, from an effort perspective, um, and
0: we'll get some. We'll get more into
1: single sport considerations here in just a minute
0: yeah and maybe we could cover that here in a second but how do you know your race pace like that was always one of the trickiest things for me when i was c- coaching myself uh is developing my own workouts it was kind of like you know throwing a dart at the wall where i think it should be and probably every time i threw that dart it was too high Right, and I think that's the dangerous part is you hear people talk about,
1: oh yeah, I can ride 87% of my FTP for a 70.3. And then, or you see that like a pro can ride 92 or 93% of their FTP for a 70.3 or even higher sometimes. And it's just, you can't can't copy that one because that pro is gonna ride an hour and 58 minutes. And uh, you know, your normal age grouper is three hours is a solid day, right, on the bike. So that's a long time to be trying to push that kind of power. And so um I guess we can kind of skip forward. Um maybe we jump into the bike just a little bit here because I think that's the one where the uh the target is probably the hardest to find. Um and so you know, I think most people are probably going to fall into that 75 to 85% bucket right um at least of your FTP. You know, some people, if you're really strong on the bike, maybe you can go a little bit higher. Um, if you're somebody that's looking to make the cutoff, you're probably going to be on the lower end or maybe a little bit below that. And so, um, it's just going to be finding time. You know, spending time looking at that. If you want to um, look at your training data, uh, something that I think every single training software does is you can look at your peak one hour power you can look at your peak two hour power three hour power and so on um and so then just you can kind of find with time as you do some training rides you know you can see hey this was my peak two hour power this was my peak three hour power um and maybe your peak two hour power isn't quite race pace because we don't ever just very rarely do i have someone go do like a two hour time trial right (laughs) so your peak two hour power isn't going to be exactly what you can do for two hours but again it kind of gives you a guide and so, when as you start to do race pace intervals, um, something that I have a lot of my athletes do is something like six by 20 minutes or five by 30 minutes, uh, something kind of in that range, maybe four by 40 minutes, um, where they'll go at 70.3 effort. And that'll, that'll, you'll pretty quickly figure out what your power is that you can hold for 70.3. Um, and then we'll do a short runoff so you can kind of see what your legs are going to feel like. And uh, that'll, That'll tell you. And so you can start to dial that in. Uh, but like you said, I would say start lower. You know, if if 85% is 220 watts, I would say start at 80%, do some of these kind of test sets, do four by twenty minutes at eighty percent, see how your legs feel, do a runoff, you know, go from there.
0: Yeah. The bike is really challenging. One thing I would tell most age groupers. If you're not fighting for the win, right? You're not fighting for that podium spot like you still want to perform well. Generally, my best races have been when I've been more conservative on the bike because the difference in speed between you going 75 and 80% is probably not too much time versus you saving that 5% and having a stronger run or being able to take in more nutrition, being better, like just more aware of it. So, hey, you're, you're biking a little bit under under your ability but that gives you the mental capacity to be like oh every 15 minutes i need to take that gel i need to slow down and grab this bottle at the aid station whereas when i pushed harder on the bike um, i feel like i'm on the limit the whole time of what my ability is for the race and it's like oh i missed the bottle i didn't need i didn't keep up with what i needed to do and your bike time might be fast but it, it doesn't pay at the finish line because your run suffers so great Right. And I think that kind of using just
1: generic numbers, you know, 5% of your threshold is maybe 10 watts-ish for most people, give or take, 10 or 12 watts. Maybe that's half a mile an hour. And again, when you look at a 70.3, that's like four or five minutes on the bike. And so it's not it's not a huge amount. Um, and so again, you might Burn a lot of matches, go four minutes faster, and then you're dead on the run. And that's something yeah. you've got to gotta think about because it's really easy to lose four minutes on the run um,
0: from feeling bad from your bike. Yeah, I mean, if we want to talk like, how do you make gains in a 70.3? Like, we didn't really cover it too much in the sprint or Olympic conversations. But if you want to cover four minutes on the bike in a 70.3, for example. Having the right equipment, the right helmet, Maybe it doesn't even matter what, just wear whatever helmet you have, but keep your head tucked versus sticking it straight up. Right. So getting, yeah. making sure your fit is down, having an arrow, having arrow bottles in your frame versus, a, uh, you know, round bottles, all those types of things. Now you're, now you're saving time. And I think those are right. going to, you know, cascade bike a little bit easier, but you're going to get a similar result. Like maybe focus on some of the details. Those were things I didn't think about 10 years ago that I think about a whole lot more today. Yeah. Some of that's just like the bike Just Everything's arrow. Everything's all about being arrow. Um, you can save those at time. Yeah. Don't, don't put a bottle
1: on your down tube, you know, get a disc. If you don't get a disc, get a wheel cover because it's going to be really close to a disc, things like that. It's, it's really easy to gain a lot of time. Um, and your fit is going to help you a lot too.
0: I have an aero bottle for the down tube and I assume it's fast because that's like what Tim O'Donnell and Jan had on their bikes a couple years ago and Kona and I think even a couple pros this year and Kona still use that elite aero bottle on the down tube on some bikes where the right bike frame tubing is, is the right width that, that can be a pretty fast setup. Yeah, I should say don't put a round bottle on your down tube. Don't put a round bottle on the down tube. Bad idea. And if you want to do aerodynamic um,
1: testing at home, there's a few ways to do that. Maybe we talk about that as its own episode.
0: Yeah, and good. we can, and good luck doing it. Because uh, there's a lot of bad aero testing if you look at it on YouTube. Just People just being fools. It's funny, actually. Yeah. I, I, think, the, I think the cleanest way...
1: And maybe somebody can find a, a better way is to uh, roll down a hill, a very long hill, if you've got one, because you'll get to really high speeds and you don't have to generate any power. So you reduce the number of variables. Um, that's true. Yeah, so I think that's, like, that's the best ride way. Ride down do
0: Snow it. Canyon in the same position and see how long it takes you. But yeah. there's still influencing factors like wind. And yeah. when changing yeah, you, five got miles either. an hour or a couple degrees is a big difference. Yeah, so everything you want to test, you have to do it
1: there. You have to bring yeah. all of your stuff with you and and change it out and do it on the same day, do multiple runs. Um, but yes, we, we've we got a spot out here where we've got two big hills right next to each other, and so you can roll down one, and then uh, you'll, you'll roll up the next one, and then just mark where you come to a stop, and then you can kind of do that a few times and see if anything really changes, because you'll get up probably at least 35 miles an hour on the first down. And so you get up to a a high enough speed that you'll know if you have any drag issues, um, and then see how far you roll to a stop on the next hill.
0: I, I see that with tons of errors because your time of test is so short and you're going to be trying to piece a piece part, you know, what does that foot tell me? I'm three feet further. I'm three feet back. Like, right. But if something's going to save you, uh, like if it's
1: going to be a significant savings, I think over half a mile you'll get, um, it'll be close enough. It'll be it's over a half a mile hill? Like between the two, yeah. like the amount that you'll roll down and then climb up. Okay. But that's the closest I think you can get at home. I don't know, uh, without yeah. going into a wind tunnel.
0: So, And and like, do you remember like five years ago, there was all that talk about those pedo aero tubes that were out there? Yeah. I've never really seen those develop much. Anyway, okay, we're off topic again. Yeah, so uh, I guess we'll go backwards now into the,
1: into the uh, well, I think just to wrap up on the bike, I think the last thing to keep in mind is checking out the course that you're going to be on, right? So try to do your best to simulate that at home, um, whether it's on your, if you've got a fancy smart trainer that can, if it's a really hilly course, it'll go up and down for you, um, or at least try to find a course that's going to be similar. If you're going to St. George, good luck. You probably won't find something close to your house that's like that. But most other rides, you can probably uh, find something kind of similar uh, where you are. Um, And then I think the last thing was make sure that you spend time on the bike you're going to race on and in the position that you'll race on. So you know, going out and doing – if you're going to go do 6 by 20 minutes at 70.3 power, don't go do it on your road bike. That's the workout you go do on your time trial bike. All that really fast riding that you did in the the base part of the year, you can do that on your road bike. Uh, But make sure that your specific workouts are on the time trial bike or, you know, your
0: race day bike. And not just on the bike, because it's super important, in the aero position. Right. Because how many people, if you go sit on the sideline of a 70.3 bike course, come by not aero? Yeah. And, uh, and also do it with your
1: wheels every once in a while. You know, I'm I'm not huge into uh, using your race wheels on on training rides. I know that I go out to the lake and I see tons of people riding around with their race wheels on. Um, I mean, if you don't have a set of training wheels and that's what you've got, then that's what you need to do. But especially like if you ride a disc or something really deep in the back, make sure that you take it out on a windy day and just ride. Uh, and that's something that I do every once in a while It's just... I'll, I'll wait for a day that's crazy windy and I'll go throw my race wheels on and go ride because it, everything's a little bit different. And so you just need to be prepared for that on race day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. i mostly ride on my race wheels, but not the disc in the back. Um, I've never had a big problem with the disc. And like most people say, it's, it's not as much of a, an effect as I feel like on the front end of the bike. Uh, right. But definitely, you the front wheel, I think, is is probably even more important. Whatever you plan on riding, I, not a whole lot of people ride deeper than forty in the front anymore. Maybe fifty, but if, some will go sixty or eighty deep um, on the front. And those those are big those are big wheels that could catch the wind quite significantly.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and uh, I think that's been a, a common misconception for a long time, is that the the disc is what causes your control problems on a windy day, but it's really your front wheel. Because all your weight is on the back, so your disc really isn't going to do that much. Yeah. Uh, unless you like that poor guy I saw in Saint George that fell off his bike, when his bike blew away from him forty feet. That was the uh, that was the disc. He <laughs> fell off his bike because of the when we were there or when you were there last when, year. Yeah, when you were there in twenty twenty one, this guy yeah. fell down in front. Well, where you rode past me while I was standing on the side of the road. Yeah. A guy. A guy kind of fell down. And then he uh, he was on his side, and the wind picked up his bike and threw
0: it a good 30 or 40 feet away into huh. the ditch. That was and, so windy. Uh, it was literally, yeah. it could have picked up. The wind was just about blowing cars over. It was ridiculous. Yeah. So that was unrelated to the disc. So uh, going back to the swim, um,
1: I think just the, the only swim-specific things is, again, know what you're swimming in on race day. So if it's going to be freakishly cold especially, you know make sure that you've swum in your wetsuit. Uh, make sure that you've tried to get a cold water swim in. I know that can be hard if you're going to a cold weather place during a warm time of the year, you know, or if it's like a spring-fed place where the water's 60 all year round, and then you know it's 80 wherever you wherever you live. So uh, kind of keep that in mind. Um, and like we talked about in the short course episode, just practice the open water skills: so drafting, sighting, turning. Um, and then I think one of the big things for long course, because none of the Ironman races let you warm up, is do some workouts where you jump in the water and go race pace right from the beginning, um, either with a dry land warm up or no warm up, just so that your body is used to that. Um, do it in your wetsuit if it's going to be a wetsuit swim. You know, go kind of because I think there is something when you jump in and you haven't warmed up, or even like at Worlds this year, by the time the time for me warming up to getting in the water was. 40 minutes because they make you line up and then you stand there forever. Um, so I really didn't need to warm up. There was no point in warming up because I was cold. I was freezing cold by the time I got in the water. Um, so you have the restriction from the wetsuit. Your body's cooled.
0: Um,
1: so practice doing that on race day so you don't you know, shock or hyperventilate or anything like that.
0: So, um, yeah. I think one of the other things from races I've experienced is most races are at a time of year. In most parts of North America, where you can use a wetsuit during the swim for if you're an amateur. And the races I've done where you can't use a wetsuit, I feel like you can just hear the chatter amongst everyone in transition. And then when you're getting into the water, where people have never done a big open water swim without it. So the other side of the conversation of, hey, do it with your wetsuit, practice in the pool, do some open water swimming. Also do those things without a wetsuit because you could have a race in the Midwest um, or elsewhere in the country where you thought it was going to be wetsuit legal and you show up and it's not. Um, I've had wetsuit and non-wetsuit in St. George. Um, It it really just depends on the time of the year, the weather they were getting or how much snow melt was coming down from the, from the rivers. Like who knows? Uh, Sometimes it's really hard to predict what you're going to be able to wear or not wear.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: and if you have a speed suit,
1: make sure that you do some swims in your speed suit. Probably not in the pool. Uh, do those open water.
0: Why? Do those tear up the, the swim the skates? Yeah, you just don't want to
1: dip that stuff in yeah. chlorine, I think, if you can help it. So
0: Yeah. Okay. Um,
1: and then uh, I think moving on to the run, just uh, make sure that you um, spend some time you know, finding that race pace off the bike. And so I think the biggest thing is just doing a brick workout every once in a while where you have a nice – a ride that's going to be similar to what you're going to do on race day. Um, and then hop off and run anywhere from 10 to maybe even 40 or 45 minutes, uh, at race pace, just to kind of practice nutrition and, uh, practice what it's going to feel like. So I think one of my staple workouts is usually I'll do like a 15 minute warm up, 20 minute warm up on the bike. And then I'll do about 40 miles at race pace and then I'll get off and run 10 K at race pace. Um, And so you end up getting in a pretty good amount of work. It gives you time on the run to take a couple gels in and kind of see how your stomach is and and do all that Um, and then get a feel for that pace off the bike. Um, But definitely do, you know, a quality run every week where you're not running off the bike uh, just to practice pacing, feeling fresh, because you're going to run better when you're fresh. So we don't want to be running tired all the time. So... um, Kind of the same thing, a little bit of sub-threshold work. You know, every once in a while, we want to go over over the threshold and kind of work on the speed. Um, and you can get kind of a higher volume of, of work at like 10K pace, 5K, 10K pace, uh, just to kind of help that upper end. Um, but then doing lots of lots of work, I think, to me, spending time at your open half marathon pace is, is good for 70.3 because it's a little bit quicker, but it's still going to be below your threshold because um, – most of us run a half marathon over an hour, so uh, that uh, that gives
0: you a chance to, to run a, a good solid pace. But it's a it's a little quicker than what you're going to run on race day. And try maybe try to do a half marathon in your build up. Like I think it's a good idea. Maybe don't go a hundred percent. Like if you're a, a month out in a half marathon, that could tear up the legs a little too much. But um, if you're newer, or even if you're experienced and you want to clean up that run a bit, do a half marathon in the build. Uh, as you're getting more race specific, I think that that could help. The other piece of this is too. Like again, my best iron or 70.3s have always been when I'm more conservative. Be conservative in that first half of the of the half marathon, the first 10k, and plan to really attack the second 10k. You will feel so good when you do that because yeah, maybe yeah. you're not passing people, maybe anyone, and maybe you're getting a couple people. Couple, couple people might come by you, but when you feel fresh, the back half of the of the half marathon and a 70.3 and you're passing people like that is such a that is an energy boost a a little bit of an ego boost uh, and it helps you really cross the line i think overall quicker so save some save some energy it's a long day out there for most people four five six hours long uh, and you're gonna need it on the back half of the run yeah and i think that first half you know
1: back off a little bit and use that time to make sure that you're taking in fluids taking in nutrition calories everything you're going to need because on the back half once you get there none of that's really going to do anything for you so you really need to get it all in before that um and then you'll be set up for the run and nutrition that's probably a separate episode we can kind of do some sort of overarching race day nutrition type of of, of episode at some point. yeah
0: we probably should and the short of it is you kind of have to you have to practice it too. You can't just show up and be like, I'm going to have 100 grams an hour on the bike, carbs an hour, uh, and think that that's going to work, but I've never done it in training. So it's all about practice, practice, practice with the gut because your gut has to get yeah. used to it. I never used to practice nutrition, uh, and now I, I make my own bottles for workouts because I want to make sure that I'm keeping in those calories and really working it. Yeah. All right. So I think that's good on the training. If, if you uh, feel like we left anything out, send us a question and we can, uh, we'll address that. Awesome. So there's some news and I want you to help catch me up because I didn't listen to it, but you, you were telling me a little bit about it on the, how they train podcast. There was a pretty interesting conversation that went on. So fill fill us in. I'm going to go listen to it after this, but like, let's you talk, you tell me about it. Let's talk. So we
1: normally try not to talk to, about other podcasts by name, right? Cause we're not promoting everybody else, but the, uh, the, how they train podcast there, the host is Jack Kelly. And, uh, it's a, it's a really good podcast. Um, and uh, he generally has like pro triathletes on or coaches and they talk about training. Um, and it's really, it's really good. They have, generally the interviews are pretty long. Um, and they get really in depth more in depth than, you know, when you go listen to Joe Skipper, talk to Bob Babbitt or something like that, that's more of a, learning about him as a person but uh, this podcast it's really kind of the nuts and bolts of training which is pretty great um, but in the most recent episode he had Andrew Messick on and I think that Iron Man is kind of the center of triathlon criticism right now um, whether or not you agree you know I don't I don't know but um, he had Andrew Messick on who is the CEO of Iron Man and he asked him some pretty tough questions kind of about you know Kona and splitting the men and the women and you know why why they're splitting um, as opposed to just moving away and doing a rotation things like that um, and then he started to get uh, at that point I think Messick was getting pretty heated um, which I'm, I'm not really sure why I think he he was more heated in the beginning when the questions weren't really that intense and then uh, as the podcast went on they kind of shifted to talking about the pros and and uh, Jack was asking him about you know, pro pay and their percent of the revenue and comparing it to team sports, which I don't think is really a fair assessment because uh, team sports are a lot different than triathlon as far as their business model. Um, And uh, Messick brings that up. And I think he did a really good job defending Ironman, too. And I kind of agree with most of the things he said. Um, But go back and give it a listen. Um, Eventually, Messick just hangs up after uh, he says they've gone over time. And then he kind of says goodbye and hangs up. Um I really like I said before I really like this podcast. I think that Jack kind of keeps trying to talk after after Messick tells him he needs to get off. Um and so I I don't know that he really did a good job. I think he kind of put himself in a bad spot because he just kind of continued as if nothing was happening. Um and so I don't know. I think it's interesting. It would be it would be fun if uh, if anybody that listens to our podcast go give it a listen, let us know what you think, and maybe we can we can talk about it. But the the fallout is now he's been banned by Iron Man. Um, he hasn't really given details about what that means yet. Uh, he's got a new episode coming out this week where I think he's going to talk a little bit more in-depthly about what happened after that. Um, and so I think that, for me, this just brought up the question of what is, what is everybody's view on Iron Man right now? Because, you know, seeing the ban, for me, that kind of made me feel a little more negative toward iron man i don't mind we've talked about world championships on here i don't mind the split at all i mean i don't like the split i don't mind the i don't like the move i don't i don't mind the split i do like the move um so i don't know what are your thoughts on on iron man banning a podcast host
0: uh so i'll listening i need to go back and listen to the episode. Uh, I don't regularly listen to that podcast, but this has got me super intrigued. So I'm probably going to go subscribe and listen to that one. Um, my thoughts, and I don't know anything details, is that like perhaps for Jack to get that interview, he probably made the request, probably submitted. Here's the things I want to talk to you about. Here's some of the questions I'm going to ask. Maybe like maybe they maybe Iron Man even asked for all the questions that you want to kind of cover, and. Those are not the questions that landed in the podcast. So my gut is Jack from how they train probably went outside the bounds a little bit of what expectations were. And just from a, from a pure media perspective, I wouldn't be surprised of the response for, for Andrew to hang up and be like, Hey, this is like, we're getting off of this. And this isn't what we're going to talk about. Um, But from a pure, like, Hey, triathlete and you know, I want I want to, I want Iron Man to address some of those questions. Um I think it's a good thing that they were asked, right? You got him on the line, you're recording, throw the question out there. Be it be a tough reporter, ask fair questions. And that's what sounds like that's what he did. Now um it do I love Iron Man? No. Do I hate Iron Man? No. Uh I think comparisons to pay and other sports. And again, I haven't listened to it. It's a, it's a tough thing to make because the life of Ironman and triathlon is not the professional field and even the PTO and everything going on, like they're creating more opportunity for pros, but it will never be that. In our last episode, we actually talked about some of the paper pay that pros receive. Um, and actually, where did I see it? Like, was it TriFind or somewhere else? They actually posted a pretty big article of all the winnings of all the top professionals, and some of the some of the winnings are actually quite substantial. But the list isn't that long, where I would consider it truly livable, right? Because you got those athletes also have to pay for travel and equipment and bike maintenance, tons of other things. So, like, really livable uh, at a, at a high level, like you would think of a normal. Professional athlete in another sport, it, it doesn't really compare well. So, uh, for me, I think Ironman always should be focused on the amateurs. And second, should come the pros. People probably don't like to hear that though, because, you know, if you're really into this sport, if you're listening to a podcast, uh, you're watching the videos, on like you probably are more professional oriented than the full audience is that actually participates. Right. That's probably just a hard pill to swallow. I think for a lot of people, um, but that's that's probably my perspective on it without it having actual concrete data around it. Ironman should stay focused on amateurs and do what they yep. need to do to keep their business as healthy as possible, so that amateurs can keep coming to the races and having a good time. And it sucks for pros, but the, yeah, this isn't a sport that uh, has a lot of opportunity right now. That that said, where how do we grow triathlon? We grow triathlon by bringing more and more amateurs and continuing to bring more amateurs to the sport and having more races and that's where the money is going to come from. By growing the amateur field we're not going to create we're not going to create a ton of value in this sport by just throwing more and more money at professionals. We have to first grow the sport before we grow the professional field. That's my take. Okay, that was that was a very right. quick and I, and I think take. so too
1: and I think that that's part of the, the disconnect. I think that You know, Jack in this podcast was was very much saying that like pros should be getting, you know, a larger chunk of the the money. Um, But it's not the NBA, right, where the revenue sharing, I think, is something like 50%. um, I believe it is in the NHL. But the players are the revenue, right? Um, When you watch Kona, the prize purse is $750,000. How much does it cost you to watch Kona? I've never paid a dollar right? That, that's right. Yeah. So the athletes are definitely not generating $750,000 of value for Kona um, at all, you know, in any, in any way, right? Cause you don't go to a race. You went to St. George 2021, the actual, the regular non-world championship, right? And the prize purse was a hundred thousand dollars. But was it, was any of the money that you spent to go to St. George because of the pros that were there?
0: It, no, it absolutely. Zero no. percent. <laughs> But it was yeah, really cool that that turned same. out. It was really cool that there turned out to be a really strong field there. Right, it's cool, but it's not why you
1: go. Like I no. went to seventy point three Lubbock last year, and I spent the exact same amount of money that I spent going to seventy point three Des Moines the year before. Des Moines had a hundred thousand dollar purse. Lubbock had no pros at all, and right. so um, the pros are not a driver for Ironman. So I I totally understand that um, from from that point of view. That you know, I think that more than anything. And maybe this is unfair, especially as a former pro, I feel like it's okay for me to say this, that like Ironman is the platform for the pros to make money elsewhere,
0: right? Right now it is. Yeah, like it would be super cool if there is, you know, there's Super League and there's there's other race series like PTO and Challenge and like, and we're going to talk about Roth here in a second. It would be, yes, Ironman is one of the platforms, but there really isn't any of these platforms individually that is providing enough money for pros to be pros in the sense that you think of other popular sports and it's just the right. facts of the situation uh, i think we should just all kind of consider ourselves blessed to be able to participate in the sport you have and we talked about it last time if you're a pro you want to make money in this world you're not going to make it from iron man you're not going to be making it individually from challenger or whatever organization you're competing in you're going to make it from social media there's amateurs that are probably making more than some of the top 10 in terms of total income, just due to social media, right? Like triathlon Taren is probably the best example. And well, just Taren, I guess nowadays, but he's made an entire living off of triathlon and he's an amateur. Whether you hate him or or you love him, like he's an amateur, just providing basic guy like, and he's doing it through other avenues. Um, now that kind of sucks because if you want to be a pro you can't just be really good at your sport you have to be really good at your sport like if you want to be you want to do any of the social media all the influencer stuff you better be top five and you better yeah. race a lot because you got to bring in the money and the only way you're going to do it is through results and sponsors and prize purses you're not in the top five it has to be ways. so yeah. it sucks to hear probably yeah. if you're a pro or an aspiring pro but that's yeah, because in that's the other sports, ones, you can just be really good.
1: You can be really good at basketball and you don't have to be social at all because you're going to get a paycheck for your performance. And
0: it's just not quite yeah.
1: like that in, uh, in triathlon. Yeah. No,
0: no, so. no, it's different. I don't, I don't hate it. I don't love Ironman. I don't hate Ironman. I think if you're be if you hate Ironman or actually any of the organizations in our sport, like maybe, maybe you probably have a little bit of a twisted view as to what the expectations are that the sport should be providing for pros for me i think you know really keeping the eye on where does the money come from it's a business they have to service their their clients their their customers
1: right that's the most important thing
0: yeah otherwise okay. you know
1: i know everybody wants to hate on iron man right now but if we don't support it it will go away um uh, and i don't I know. know if that's and look at your
0: there and seriously go on to i think slow twitch has a pretty cool thread right now going on Uh, again like we're talking about very specific subsets of people like one people that listen to podcasts two now i'm talking about people that even log on or know what slow twitch is but like there's a thread on there talking about local races and the number of races that there used to be 10 years ago versus today Um, and it's I like I don't know of anywhere that we can find numbers or statistics to kind of back this stuff up, but the conversation that I saw on there the other week is that in general across the North America, we're seeing less local races. They're just disappearing and there's less participation. I'm RAN even is taking some of their races off the calendar. You signed up for Lubbock or we're gonna for next year, it's gone. So like yeah, our sport has challenges. Um and we need to we need to increase participation before we do anything yep because they're
1: going to disappear both both of the uh my a races for the year b- were discontinued for 2023 so i'm still trying to figure out what i want to do what which one which uh
0: tulsa i was going to do iron man waco waco oh yeah that's a well you you lucked out then that was that would be a yeah one. probably but yeah there uh, <laughs> nobody wants to go there i wish that that race was still in austin but uh yeah. <laughs> or, I mean, if you pretty much finished it last year, you were probably close to a Kona spot. So,
1: yeah. All right. So then I think uh, the last bit of news we had was Challenge um, Roth. Yeah. And uh, their their male start list came out. I think the female one comes out tomorrow. Um, But uh, what
0: stands out for you
1: on the uh, the men's side so far?
0: Well, we, we, we touched on it. I didn't know Sebastian Keenly was racing again this year. So he's doing, you said a two year kind of farewell tour. I thought that that was kind of, it's cool that we still have Sebastian Keenly racing. Um, it, there's, there's a good group of like, I would say six or seven people that are going to be competitive for a, a Kona spot. Maybe, well, maybe more even. Oh, so don't forget, maybe eight challenge. or nine. Um, it's sorry, So
1: there's no Kona spot.
0: Or, oh yeah, my bad. Um, but what I meant is a podium spot. If I said Kona, apologies. A podium spot. Um, I think when I look at it, what am I excited about? I want to continue to see Ben Canute and interesting spelling of his name on there. Is that is that the right spelling of his name? That is not the correct spelling. Yeah, it's like that's, that's not. Okay. It. So they need to fix that. Um, so can he continue to to perform? Sam Laidlow's there. Patrick Long and Magnus Ditlev, Daniel Backagard, um, Joe Skipper. Andrea Straits, it's it's an interesting group. Um, we I see Reese Barclay on there. I'm not excited about seeing Reese, but that probably means Lucy Charles Barclay is coming back on the yes, women's side. Be, so I think that would be good. So um, that would be exciting to see her race at Ross. She's been there multiple times before in the past. It's going to be a competitive race for a podium spot here. So yeah, I, I wonder, will to we to see, see additions or subtractions? So that, obviously we'll see subtractions with injuries or anything else that might come up, but it'll be interesting to see who else might try and throw their hat. Be in added, road yeah. I'm yeah. sure that they'll, uh,
1: they'll let, let guys still get on the start list. This is probably just the, uh, the preliminary one.
0: Yeah. Like, like what's Jan's plan? Where, where's he racing? He usually he's hit Roth many times before in the past. Maybe he's done. Maybe he's going to retire since Kona is not going to be until 2024. Oh, that would be devastating. Bummer if he does, if he doesn't no. he's, he's training, he's racing. I just, we just don't know where yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think this is going to be really fun. A lot of good cyclists
1: in this race. So I feel like it'll be, uh, it'll be really neat to see how the swim bike plays out and and maybe who can hold it together once they get to the run. Um, and if they get good weather,
0: maybe a shot at a, a world record or something like that. Yeah, that'd be cool. It'll be a fun one. I wanna do Roth one day, but I feel like that is so far in the future for me. Yeah, that's on my bucket list too, but I don't see I don't see myself getting over to, to Europe
1: anytime soon from a cost no. perspective.
0: So cost and like yeah, I can't we can't take we can't take the kids there. That'll be at least at their current ages, it'll be way too much work. Yeah, maybe when Soren is a pro and she's racing
1: challenge Roth, I'll go oh. I'll go do it as mm-hmm. an age grouper. Yeah.
0: Wow. So. We'll save this clip. She's got some mighty expectations. <laughs> yeah. We are.
1: I, I, I don't know that we talked about it in the last one. We kind of talked about my marathon disaster, but Soren ran the mile race the day before in a uh, eight So that's impressive. How old is she um, for everyone? She's six, six, six. and a half. You know that's yeah, really so, quick. And she doesn't train by the way. I mean, she's, she runs like a couple of times a week. It, it's not like I'm that driving uh pro pro ex pro dad. That's making her work out all the time.
0: She, okay. she runs
1: recreationally she comes to our track <laughs> workouts on tuesdays
0: glad you clarified for everyone listening yeah you don't make her yeah. train 5 a.m seven days a week no yeah that's good yeah so um, i think that
1: that about wraps it up there were a couple of races i don't know that it's anything we're gonna touch on the the real racing is gonna start pretty soon Make sure you renew your subscription to Triathlon Live so you can watch the uh, the first WTCS race in a few weeks. Okay, we'll I will. Talk about that Shoot, I, that's top
0: of my list. And then Clash Miami is coming up, right? When is that? When is that? That's one of the earlier races here. And I think that's the first weekend of March, so we still have some time to, yeah. to
1: kind of see who's racing and and we'll we'll preview that when uh, when the time comes.
0: Okay, cool. I've seen some athletes, some pros already announced they'll be there, so there's. The list is starting to shake up and Oceanside looks Oceanside. We can kind of check that out too. That's coming up in two months. Yeah. So we're, we're almost there. It's almost race season. All right. Awesome stuff. Thanks everyone for listening. And the next episode we're continuing this, right?
1: Yeah. We'll move up to Iron Man. Maybe not the next episode. We'll let some people digest this. We'll see if anything else or if a good question comes in. We had a, we had one in between the last one. So we'll see. uh, Okay. We'll see, but we will talk about Iron Man.
0: Yeah, we'll get there, uh, and we'll have some other topics to cover along the way. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, guys.